0: Hey everyone, this is Brian from the Tennis IQ Podcast. Josh and I hope that you are enjoying the content and discussions that we put out week after week. If you'd like to support the podcast and help us to continue to produce quality episodes, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast slash membership. Currently, we have two tiers of support, $3 per month and $7 per month. So again, our Patreon page is patreon.com slash Podcast slash membership. Thank you so much. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax.
1: And I'm Josh Berger. For today's episode, we're interviewing Milen Steinhardt. And for this episode, um, we're going to be talking about a number of different topics that we haven't touched on too much um, including fitness, strength training, and nutrition. Um, so a little bit about Milen. Milen is a NASM and PPSC certified health coach that specializes in helping high high school tennis players make the cut to college by rounding out their off court training protocols, primarily through nutrition and strength training. The struggles that Milen faced as a D two college athlete have led her to find a passion in helping in helping others work through and even avoid these same problems that that keep them from reaching their full potential, not only on the court, but in all aspects of life. She believes rather than relying on being told what to do, every young player should be given the tools to coach themselves, and thrive as an athlete forever. And uh, I, I know you all will really enjoy this conversation. I think in particular, that last part of Milen's bio really says a lot, um, giving athletes tools and helping them build habits on how to really make behavioral change, which is something we talked a lot about in this episode. So I hope you all enjoy this episode with Melen Steinhardt. And we are excited to welcome Melen Steinhardt. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today, guys.
1: Well, we are definitely excited for this conversation. Um, so we'll start off the way that we often start off these, uh, these conversations, these interviews. And uh, it would be great if you could share with us a little bit more about um, your upbringing and your introduction to tennis.
2: Sweet. Of course. So um, the basics of my upbringing was I uh, grew up with two brothers and a dad who loved sports. So I played basically every sport under the sun. Um, Soccer, I did horseback riding, dance. I did all of that stuff. And um, interestingly enough, I didn't start tennis until later on. I think I started lessons around maybe 10, 11. I did the summer camps and I happened to be good at it. So I got called up to play um, in like an advanced program. And started competing and playing when I was about 13. So um, somehow ended up (laughs) choosing tennis of all the sports I played. And that was the one I ended up choosing for college as well. So, um, but yeah, it's always just all sports have always been a huge part of my life. So
1: very cool. And and where can you tell us where where you grew up and then where, um, how that um, in your journey, how sort of th- that progression, and in, in terms of you starting to get more serious in tournaments, and and how that led to to you um, playing college tennis?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think this is kind of the case for a lot of people in most sports um, going into college tennis, especially in the states. But I grew up in East Coast Canada, so grew up on a really small island. Um, Also, in a sense, thankfully, you kind of are a bigger fish in a small pond, if you happen to be any good at something. So um, I happen to be, you know, pretty good. I I kind of, as I grew up, I uh, progressed pretty quickly and started, you know, winning more tournaments, and I became one of the top players in East Coast Canada. So, you know, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, that area. And so as I was uh, you know, 13, 14 started playing more tournaments. Um, the people who were older than me, some of them ended up getting scholarships, going to the states, doing that kind of route. And of course, it opened up the idea to, you know, my dad and I to go, hey, well, like that would probably be a really cool opportunity, to get my education paid for, go to another country. Um, so as I got my rankings up, did some national tournaments, can't say I did my best because totally different breed of people when you get to those big tournaments. Um, So I had a lot of learning, but um, yeah, I got lucky enough that, you know, we hired someone um, to help us with the recruiting process. And then I ended up getting a full ride actually to a school called Pfeiffer University in North Carolina, um, about an hour North of Charlotte, super small school, probably about a thousand students, but yeah, I was able to get recruited to their team and spent my four years playing um, college tennis there. Last year I played soccer, but um, yeah, it was just like, why would I not take this opportunity to pursue a sport that was for sure going to give me, um, you know, a paid education and a chance to, to go somewhere else and explore what that meant. Um, yeah, that's kind of like where that led. Unfortunately, other sports, I just wasn't, basically the other sports didn't really apply to me going to the States other than soccer. And, and I was a goalie and I hated it. I was good at it, but I hated it. So I chose this.
0: <laughs> We've often talked about the necessity of playing other sports as you know contributing to various skills both you know physical and neurological um in maybe the sport that you want to concentrate on yeah do you feel like that happened for you as well because you sampled a lot of stuff you know and in tennis they've done a lot of research into specialization because that that can be an issue in in a sport like tennis where parents get very focused on their kid who's eight, nine, 10, and they begin to add more professionalism into it. Where most of the research shows that the top players didn't really specialize in tennis until earliest age 13. And most of them, especially the Europeans, had played soccer or, you know, in the United States, probably a lot of baseball and basketball. And there's a lot of learning that goes on in, in those sports. I'm just curious if you felt that as well, or maybe just looking back on it, you know, being a soccer goalie, there's a lot of full work stuff there. There's anticipation, there's visual scanning, right? There's a lot of stuff that maybe could have helped your tennis game.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. And, um, first of all, I've actually never heard that, that, uh, those studies about, you know, the pros being able to get into tennis or focusing later, but I have seen it a lot in a lot of athletes, the ones who tend to be the top players, um, maybe similar cases didn't, play that sport maybe initially or didn't focus on it till later. And I think in so many aspects, not just physical abilities with hand-eye coordination, even foot-eye coordination, you know, being able to scan um, basically the the field or being able to play with more players, Um, but even just having that camaraderie from being on a team, I think is super important um, and teaches a lot of social skills. And um, it is noticeable, even as a coach, you guys have probably experienced um, coaching lots of little kids, and you can usually tell which ones have had more social experience, right. Um, In the way that they communicate or the way that they include people um, or even just the way that they treat themselves on the court. Um, And I think it's super important to play those different sports. Uh, There's just so much value to playing on a team and and experiencing different stuff. Like no one wants to get older and say, oh, I I wish I had tried something else, or I actually hated tennis, but my parents made me do it, which we've also seen. Um, So I, I find that interesting, but I totally agree. I think it's, extremely valuable to play different sports, just as a personal development standpoint and socialistically, or socially, I guess would be another way of saying it, just learning to work with other people, being on a team.
1: Absolutely. And I think, especially with that transition um, to college status, that, you know, a lot of people, you know, Growing up, they play tennis in an individual way. They're playing tournaments. They're primarily competing and playing for themselves. And then all of a sudden, they're in the team environment that is college tennis. So having prior team experience in another sport can, can definitely be helpful. Um, can, can you talk to us a little bit about your uh, college tennis experience and maybe how um, that led you into doing some of the some of the work that you do today?
2: Absolutely. So... The I wish I could say that my college experience was the best and it made me love things so much that I wanted to help others. But the reason why I do what I do is because I actually was probably my darkest place ever in college. Um, And it has nothing to do with the people or the players or anything like that. It was all personal things. Um, But I basically just before college, um, like I said, you know, I started going on kind of a winning streak before I went to college where I was starting to play well. I was one of the top players in Atlantic Canada, and basically. Growing up, um, I had this mindset of every time I would lose a match, I was so excited that I got better, right? I was closing the gap on all these players and I had this really positive uh, outlook on life. But then once I started winning, I started having, looking at the other people who were winning and seeing that they were really hard on themselves. So I ended up incorporating that into my life for some reason and being super negative and expected to win. And I carried that into college. I starting to actually play really bad right before, like the year before I went to college. I went to Canada Games, had a, played some really bad matches, lost really people who I should have beat. And then in college, it was kind of the same. I um, I f- expected myself to be so much better than I was playing because I thought I was so good, but then I let that pressure make me crumble, um, especially on the court and. Basically, outside of that, on on top of that was the issues that I try to help people with now, which is with their relationship with food and fitness and their self-image. So I had a horrible self-image, You know, never thought I was skinny enough, never thought I was pretty enough, Um, basically had what I would self-diagnose as orthorexia, so excessive clean eating, Um, tried to stay away from carbs, which is the worst thing probably a a player could do. Um, I worked out way more than I needed to twice a day, three times a day, and I thrived off of that and I was applauded for it a lot, which didn't really help. So because of that, um, probably not until my last year was I able to really start playing better and, and winning more matches and I became a captain and, and did well, but I just lost a lot of matches that I shouldn't have and had kind of a negative attitude and it, and it poured into a lot of things around me, like my relationships with my boyfriend at the time and my friends, and I didn't really get to make friends because I was so worried about what I was going through um, and it was exhausting. It, it affected everything about me emotionally, hormonally, physically. Um, and it just made me never get to the potential that I felt I could had, but I didn't know that these things were happening. So, and I, and I've seen that in a lot of players, but yeah, hopefully that answers your question.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's fascinating. Yilin, that You brought up self-image because I feel like that's something isn't talked about enough in, even in a performance context. So there's um, a guy named Lenny Bisham, who is an Olympic rifle shooter. He's created something called the mental management system. And he talks about having a balance between your conscious mind, your subconscious mind, and your self-image. And that when these things are not in balance, um, your performance suffers. And with tennis players, I think in particular – Self-image is not only about themselves, but they also have a self-image about maybe their strokes, like their surf or their backhand or whatever. But um, I feel like that's a really important topic that is ignored in terms of uh, just a performance context. Like, what do you feel about yourself? And, and how is that affecting your ability, maybe even to trust your abilities how you talk to yourself, right? The conscious piece about how you're talking to yourself. Then the subconscious piece about, you know, this is where my tennis game comes from, letting that go. And I just feel like it's really cool that you brought that up. So um, I'd love to know sort of the next step in the evolution then is you, you, you know, last year you maybe started to put this together. How did you put it together even further to know that, Hey, that's important. That's something I want to work on with other people.
2: Yeah, so super relatable. And basically, it wasn't really until after college that I started really piecing it together. But in that time, it was more mental. I just as a, you know, as a leader, I was now a captain, Um, I started kind of getting at least the mental side of like, I have to get my stuff together and just be a better influence on the people around me. Um, So that was the first kicker is like, do I really want to show up this way, um, both for myself and the people around me and, and the freshmen on my team. Um, so I was able to, you know, kind of pull my things together and have more fun too. I realized it's my last year. If I'm taking it so seriously and I'm not playing my best, then it's just, I'm going to, I'm going to end up regretting it. Right. So that was kind of the, the first way for me to at least have a better season. Me and my captain really good for like my co-captain. Um, she was our top player, super good friends. I loved her to death. She was an amazing player too. So it really helped me just enjoy being able to play doubles with her that last year, we kicked a lot of butt, which was super fun. Um, But then, yeah, it wasn't until later that I started making that transition of finding out what was going on. So that's kind of the unfortunate part is at the time, no one either no one told me or when people did tell me, I just blocked it out because I was so self-absorbed, of course, to new information. I thought I knew it all. Um, Who doesn't? But yeah, it wasn't until years later, I basically hired a coach because I was struggling with the same stuff. I was struggling with my fitness, my nutrition, my sleep, my self-image, my confidence, all these things were still a problem. Um, And so I hired a coach to help me, at least on the fitness side, which ended up changing my life because we started doing something called the reverse diet which i had never heard about which is something that i'm you know huge about with my clients where it was learning to progressively eat a little bit more because my goal was to lose fat but he was like well we got to get you to eat more first and through doing that i started realizing like wow like i kind of knew about this stuff because i was starting to get into personal training but i was like oh well you know 1900 calories what we were starting at and i was like oh that's not a lot of food but then as i started trying to eat that i was it was too much and i was like oh my gosh wait I've actually been starving myself this whole time. I'm not even used to eating about 2000 calories as an athlete. So as I started progressively eating more, it started changing how I felt, right? My sleep improved, my hormones improved, my emotions improved, uh, my my performance started improving um, years after college, unfortunately, but then I started looking back and while I was now getting to this new mindset and new relationship with food and fitness, I started seeing how bad it was before, right? It's not till you're on the other side that you start looking back and going, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I, my life was so stressful before. It was like, I was so absorbed by these thoughts and worrying and fear of all of these things about my life. And it poured into everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, like so many people have this same problem. And so probably the biggest part of that was when I wanted to start training my brother, who's an amazing mentor, um suggested why don't you start interviewing other players post college athletes people are still in college and see what what is going on with them because i was like i have this problem other people must have it well let's find out and through doing that and even still now i'm realizing like yeah most people know nothing about nutrition they don't know how to program their own strength training they just show up and do what they're told right and then once they're out of college if they're not playing anymore then they're hit with real life and they gain weight they're depressed they have you know, all these different issues. And the only thing they know how to do is be an athlete, which is train six hours a day and either eat what they want or eat really clean. I'll put that in quotation marks. So I was like, man, this is something that people need help with because they just don't even know it's a problem. And it's the same with coaches. When I talk to coaches, they're like, yeah, like we, they don't know what a macronutrient is like no one does, but it's like, we're humans. We eat food every day. Why don't we know anything about food or how it affects us? So it just kind of dug into more layers of it, the more that I've done this, but yeah, it was like looking back mostly and being like, wow, I didn't know how much I struggled until I was on the other side of not struggling. And so many people are still stuck in that. That's what they think is normal. They think they have to struggle to be an athlete and perform. It has to be a grind. So it's sad. It's sad that they don't know. They don't even know it's a problem.
1: No, I, I, absolutely. And I, and first of all, thank you for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that your story and more about your journey. And it makes sense that, you know, through some of the experiences that you had, why you would want to um, be on the other side of it and, you know, and, and help help athletes and tennis players on these same sorts of skills and in terms of, you know, fitness and nutrition and that sort of thing. Um, so could you tell us a little bit you know more about sort of your process um, of of how how you work with with athletes and tennis players, and you know what what are some of the main some of the main things that you generally focus on?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um I actually picked up a couple college tennis players over the summer to work with, which has been. Awesome. Cause they're my sole clients. Um, so basically the first thing I do with all my clients, um, I, I always have them start by, you know, after doing our whole onboarding process, I start with figuring out what their current habits are. Cause this is the big thing with coaches. It's like, you can tell someone what to do, but how do you know that that's the root cause to what's going on in their life? Right. We need to know what, what your normal actually is and what needs to change from that. Um, and then of course, what are the goals? So I always start with having people, at least on the nutrition side, start tracking what they already eat. And it usually is just more so to become a few things. A, it's an eye-opener. Okay. We need to figure out like what's going on. And half the time they look at what they're eating once they start learning how to track and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't eat. Or it's a roller coaster. I eat 900 calories one day and 2200 calories the other. No wonder my my body acts like it's on a roller coaster because the way that I treat it is a roller coaster. So, the first thing is figuring out those things. Um, and then from there, figuring out like what their goal is, which most of the time is they want to perform better. But also, especially female college players or male college players, they have aesthetic goals. They want to be toned, put that in quotation marks. They want to have muscle mass, lose some fat, um, and be quicker on the court. And they want to feel better. They want to feel like they're really confident. But in my opinion, that all starts starts from food, right? If you don't have energy to even be able to do those things, how are you going to accomplish it? So the first thing is always tracking. And then from there with most of them, they realize that they're under eating or under eating certain nutrients, whether it's protein, fats, carbs, things like that. So we start doing something called a reverse diet. Um, And that's basically getting your body to slowly accommodate to more energy. So more food um, until we can get to, you know, a spot where they feel like they're eating a good amount of food. We call this like an optimal maintenance. So are they eating the same amount of calories that they're burning every day and the right amount of what's in those calories, um, as far as types of fats, carbs, nutrients, vitamins, things like that. Um, and then we go to the next step, but they need to understand that it's a long-term process. And that's probably the biggest thing is instilling, like, what's it really going to look like? What are the phases we're going to have to go through? Um, and what's the most important thing, but most of the time it's that it's just tracking their habits and being like, so this is why you're here and you don't want to be here. So what I need to do to slowly start getting you in the right direction. And it's usually eating more food. It's actually the, the answer for most people. Surprisingly.
0: Yeah, that is, that is surprising. Um, but I think you're paying attention to one of like kind of the big pieces of performance, which is energy. And of course, food drives a lot of that as does sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just even just recovery and, and all of that. And so um, when you work with a client and you've got them doing this, you know, your process and getting through it, what, you know, how do you help them or what is the, your sort of optimal vision or ideal vision for them? Like what, what, are, what are most of your clients tell you that they want out of this in the end?
2: Ooh, that's almost a kind of a tough question because of course it's subjective but um i'll split it into two answers if that's okay i'll give what my personal you know goal would be for my clients and then what theirs typically would be so most of them it's hard for them to look at it as a long-term goal especially if you're high school college right you're just looking to do the best that you can in college and then Maybe get a career later. Right. (laughs) So their biggest thing is, can I be the best that I can be now and maybe even go further post-college? Can I be a semi-pro or pro player? Right. So um, their biggest goal is, can I look and feel my best on the court and hopefully off the court as well? Um, But for me, my biggest goal is because I don't know what that's going to look like can I give them the tools that they need so that they don't have to rely on me or other coaches down the road because they know how to manage these things themselves. They know how to manage food. They know how to create their own workout program. If their goals change, which they will, because they're a human being, do they know how to change how many calories they're supposed to eat? Or can they bring themselves through a reverse or through a building phase or through a fat loss phase properly because they now actually know how to do that because they know so much about food and the metabolism and how their body works. Um, but that's mainly the stuff that I try to teach. And I, and I actively teach that I have courses. We do calls every week where I teach things like how to build your own program, you know, how to calculate your calories. What is a reverse diet? What shoes should you be wearing when you're lifting? Like all these different things that they fully understand. Um, well, it's a lot of information, so it's not like they remember right away, but at least down the road, they have a basic of info that they don't have to seek out crappy information or be told to do a crazy diet one day because they need to lose weight or a crazy diet to perform, you know? So that that's mainly what it is. And I think most of them, as they get into my program, they start out with goals. And I actually just did a check-in with two of them because they're coming to the end of a program. And I was like, what were your goals at the beginning? Do you remember? And they're like, not really, because so much has changed in my mind that I can't even think like that anymore. They've changed even what they want to accomplish because they've gained um, so much more self-awareness and love for who they are, and stopped worrying about the aesthetics, and more just fueling and being in the long-term game, and and learning more about health and fitness and how it can make them and you know their teammates better. So that's been a really interesting part of coaching too, is is seeing the shift in the mindset of not even having the same goals because they're not that important anymore. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting.
1: Um, well, I I think that. No, I, I just wanted to, no, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, especially the way that you describe the the long-term approach, right, that this isn't a matter of a quick fix, um, which is actually often, you know, how I, I and I, I think we, we Brian and I both, you know, conceptualize sports psychology and mental skills, you know, that this is, we're, we're trying to help people you know, similar to what you're saying, change the way they think, change in certain ways, how they're conceptualizing different situations, um, both smaller picture, but also bigger picture things like self-image as you're talking about. But um, I saw, so I I love that approach to um, nutrition and fitness. Um, And so I I guess one question, you know, for some of our listeners who, um, you know, maybe have something maybe on the, the shorter term side, right? Maybe they have something coming up maybe it's a tournament maybe it's a match right and maybe it's coming up in a few days and um i guess from from more of a micro um example more of a short term example are there certain places that you would suggest somebody get started with where maybe this maybe it's not you know it's it's not that certainly not the whole package it's certainly not going to get them all the way you know towards really behavior change but at least as a starting point maybe if they let's just say you know it's monday and they have a tournament this coming weekend certain changes that they can make certain habits that they can at least start to bring awareness to or at least start to shift to maybe open their eyes and help them understand that um the importance of of their nutrition of their fitness and why they should view it in a long term way and why they should make you know change their habits to um in a positive direction long-term.
2: Um, yeah, for sure. And I and I, and I totally understand that that can be tough too, right? Because it's like, well, I, I do have an immediate need to be better or learn these things. So um, I guess I have two things. So the first one is for those who are listening who do have access is always gonna be to hire a coach who can actually help you, right? Because then you're taking away the question of what do I do and how do I find out what I have to do? That's probably my biggest piece. Find someone who can help you with that particular problem. If it's nutrition, if you have like an injury, whatever it is. But when it comes to nutrition, my biggest thing is going to be, which is also immediate, is learning to get your body to adapt to more energy, which is food, right? Food is energy. That's literally what it does for you. Um, And I say that because some people will go, well, I have like these, you know, mindset issues, or I'm nervous, or I'm stressed, or they go into like, well, I have these injuries, but this is how I look at food. If I, I actually made this graph for my clients, when I do teachings, um, I have this picture of a human form, and then I have an umbrella over it, and it has the word food on it. And food has an effect on every single aspect of your life, mental, physical, internal, external, if you have issues with being able to concentrate it's probably because you're not getting enough food and not enough energy to literally be able to do that. If you have allergies or disease or anything, it comes from food. So if you can start teaching yourself and your body to start adapting to a higher level of energy and the things that work for you, of course, it's going to be different, but are you able to understand how much, how many carbs you need for your performance? How many pieces of like, how much protein, how much fat, how many nutrients you need and understanding the timing of that, right, so that it actually maximizes how you're utilizing that energy and it's well digested so you can perform well, then that can give you immediate results, right? It's like if you are really tired and hungry and you eat a full meal, you have immediate results. You feel better. You're not tired and cranky anymore. So can you apply that even in the week leading up to your tournament? Absolutely. And of course, there's people to help you understand specifically how to navigate that, but that would be my biggest thing is can you start Eating more food gradually, or at least within your means, so that you can actually perform—you know—in these coming weeks or weekends that um, that require all this energy. So that would probably be my biggest piece.
0: You mentioned timing as being, you know, certainly important, and um, it's something that I talk a lot about in terms of, you know, it's match day and um, and trying to time the when you eat and what you eat and and so forth. Um can you give us any guidance on you know what you would say in terms of let's say I have a match at noon Saturday. Um how might you look at that from a food preparation perspective and 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 when you eat?
2: Um, awesome. So the night before we can always start with the night before we've probably heard of carb loading. There definitely is some value to that. So if you like pasta, um, things like that, I'm always going to say complex carbs is the best, at least long before that match. Um, because the best way to get energy is actually having some stored up in the first place. It's hard to be able to really perform off of quick stored energy right before the match. Um, but on the day of, let's say you have a a match at 12 o'clock, um, then I would always say at least two and a half three hours before is when you want to have your first full meal so complex carbs um things that are a slower digesting carbohydrate, so things like potato whole wheat pastas and breads things like that um, having enough fats protein basically things that you love to eat you want a big meal fuel up on that right away um, once you're closing in on the time um, then you start to become more strategic because your body only has certain time available to actually digest these things right and that's what we're trying to avoid is have it sitting in our stomach when we start a match. And then we all know what that feels like. Cause sure we've all done it. You eat something right before and you're like, oh, this is not great. Um, so within about an hour before, if you're like kind of on the timeline, um, I'm always gonna say high amounts of carbs, Medium to low amounts of protein, so probably 20 grams max of protein. And fats and um fiber specifically, you want to keep pretty low because those both slow digestion. So you want to make sure you're not getting too much so you have more chance to digest quickly. Um so right before a match, even an hour before, something like a fruit smoothie, um, even with a little bit of protein powder is awesome. Um, bananas, things like that. Um, and then if you can even lead up within the last half hour stick to things like that. If you have a banana on the court with you, it's great. Um, you can utilize things like those, you know, those, uh, like carbohydrate gels. Have you ever seen them Yeah, yeah. or those gummies? Those are awesome right before, or even during your match. Some people, if they're like, Hey, if you love things like chocolate or you like that sugary cereal, you know, right before the match is probably the time to utilize it. So you don't feel bad because you're about to use that energy. Um, But the biggest thing is like, can you really get that energy in hours before so that um, you can both use that quick energy you just got, but also use the energy you stored up? Um, That would probably be my biggest suggestion.
0: No, that's very helpful. And I think, you know, the other aspect of that is you mentioned a little bit, but uh, you're playing a match, you know, maybe it's third set, third hour, you know, there's going to be need to be some refueling there um carbs are probably a good way to address that i remember reading this study a few years ago about how i'm not sure your take on sports drinks but um even a drink like gatorade you actually don't have to ingest it you could swish it around in your mouth for about 10 to 15 seconds and spit it out and it would send signals just through your taste buds that energy is coming it actually creates more and more energy Um, so you know not a big fan of that sugary drink. And so I started using that. I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. I'm going to try that just on myself as being, you know, client zero or the guinea pig of things. And um, it helped. Um, But I'm curious, you know, what are your refueling strategies? You know, because uh, certain places, maybe San Diego is not super, super hot, but there are a lot of hot places, you know, and we actually did uh, an episode on extreme heat. And, and how to manage that. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on managing that in long matches.
2: Absolutely. Also, I just want to comment on how interesting that is, that, which is so psychological on your end because it's a placebo effect is what it sounds like you just described.
0: I guess there is a physiological effect though through, I can find the paper for you. Yeah,
2: that is so I'll, interesting. I'll find the citation, yeah. I've never heard of that. Um, No. And that's stuff that I would love to learn more about is like, can you trick your body almost into being able to create more energy um, without having to actually ingest all that sugar? But um, well, I mean, my opinion is always going to be subjective to people, right? Everyone has to decide what works for them. Like, I'm never going to tell someone to do something that they hate to do. Um, But the first one is always going to come back to, can you prep by having enough electrolytes in your body so that you are also holding on to that hydration. Right. So, and that comes through food too. A lot of people think so much of electrolytes as things like Gatorade or certain, you know, uh, drinks, but it's like hydration and electrolytes come mostly from your food, actually, if you're getting enough potassium and things like that. So I always start with that, but as you're getting into these sets and, um, you know, you're, you're hoping not to cramp, then I'm always going to suggest what you also enjoy and can have. So things that are more liquid are always going to be the go-to, um, or that take less space in your stomach. For the same reason that it's easier to digest and can give you immediate energy. So if you do have a sports drink that you like, um, you know, some people don't want to have too much sugar, but some people love Gatorade and that's what they have, then go for that. Um, but if you can even make your own solution, right, of something that has electrolytes where you can have less sugar, but still a lot of electrolytes and um and like salt and things like that, then that's always going to be a good go-to. Fruits are always great if they're quick digesting, right? So something like a banana, I feel like we've seen lots of pros have bananas on court. And um, again, it's super easy for you to eat, digest, it's quick, lots of carbs. Um, And then if you're ever going to do like another carb, I'm always going to suggest something that's a simple carb, right? So if you have like, you know, saltine crackers or something like that, if you want to munch, the worst thing is going to be like a granola bar because it's really hard to digest. So you want to do a simple carb. Um, but yeah, always just having like liquids or, or goo packets or gels or things like that, or those gummies. Um, those are probably the best way of getting quick energy for your match.
1: That's, that's all good to know. And, uh, Glad that you brought up banana. I mean, bananas, and you know, I think a lot of the the things that you've mentioned um, are great, and a lot of great advice there. And I, I was going to ask, and I think you touched on this already with um, by ta- talking about granola bars. But what are some of the things that maybe people should avoid, or some of the types of things that people think are fueling them or helping them ultimately, but but maybe there's some, you know, side unforeseen side effects.
2: That is such a good question um, because we probably all made that mistake of granola bars is a big one that like you honestly should not have right before during a match. And I don't know how many of you can listen and be like, oh, yeah, I do granola bars all the time and they never (laughs) really make me feel good um, because they're usually more complex. They have a lot of oats and stuff, which are tough to digest. Um, I would definitely say stuff like that just in general, big meals. If you're going to have like a sandwich right before your match, like, again, that's just going to sit in your stomach because the reason why is your body's your body is literally busy doing something very intense. So it's going to put its energy towards that and put everything else on pause, which means whatever's in your stomach is probably just going to sit there and give you a stomach ache or make you feel bad. Um, man, that's kind of tough. Like things like apples, actually, as far as a fruit, I wouldn't suggest, um, mostly just because it does give people cramps. Um, I feel like it is a slightly more complicated, uh, carbohydrate for some people to digest, but, um, Man, things like, hey, lots of fats, actually. Fats and and anything with a lot of fiber. Right before or during your match, it's probably a no-go. Because, again, fats and fiber slow your digestion. So if you have those, it's just basically going to sit in your stomach. But, yeah, I would say avoid everything except for quick carbs, <laughs> basically. Yeah. And I've seen – kind of... Go, Go
1: ahead, Josh. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say I've seen um, Djokovic, for example. Um, I know he – he will often eat um, dates. Dates as he's playing, um, just as a way to. Um, well, I guess you could, I'm sure you could explain it better than me. But I'm sure between the, the sugars and the um, and the carbs that you know the um, I, I'm sure there's a lot of benefits there.
2: Yeah, dates are underrated as far as a convenient, calorie dense. And carb high food for especially athletes. And I've done that as a pre-workout for my lifting sessions, like three dates. If you have three dates, it's probably close to 40 to 60 grams of carbohydrates just for those. So, and yeah, you're right. There's lots of sugar. So super easy way of getting quick energy. That's not going to take up space in your stomach and that your body can just break down and and immediately give you some, some energy. So definitely a good one for people to think about too, is, is stuff like dates or certain dried fruit in general, things like mango and stuff too. Yeah.
0: So we've concentrated a lot on the nutrition side, or maybe a little bit, I guess, on the nutrition (laughs) side. But um, you also do work in terms of personal training and strength training. And what are some interesting things that tennis players should know about that?
2: Ooh, um, okay. So this is one that's more specific to what I've done recently, actually. So I have two clients. And, um, they both just went back to college for their seasons. And one of them is in season right now. And the other one is actually not in season until the spring, right. Which is usually the season for tennis college players. And as far as strength training goes, right. A lot of people, um, start to understand, or at least working with the coach is, okay, we need to start strength training off the court, doing, you know, our deadlifts, our bench press, like all of these different movements that are building definitely some power, but also some strength and lots of dense muscle that is going to be helpful on the court, But um, in the least complicated way to explain, there's a time and a place for when you're building, and there's a time and a place for when you're just maintaining because you are competing. So as far as these clients that I have, um, you know, one of them, she was on a pretty big program during the summer, she was actively, you know, getting stronger, working on all these movements, trying to develop Um, all of this strength and muscle. But then when she started, it was like, whoa, we got to tone this down to basically just doing a little bit of maintenance and never really trying to get to a point where you're improving. And that's really tough for players because as an athlete, you're always looking to improve, but when you're in your season, it's just not the time. So um, I mean, there's lots more, you know, layers to all that info, but it's understanding that there's Times during your year, in season, pre season, post season, both nutritionally and with your um, strength training programs and recovery too, if you have injuries, to focus on those things. So basically, when you're not in season, learn to lift heavy, learn to work on your power, learn to really try and build a lot of muscle and get good at those movements that are going to help you on the court. But when you're in season, Go through the motions just a bit because your body is still needing to be adapted to that level of strength in those movements. So it doesn't get sore, but don't try to build because you're just not, unless you can eat, you know, five, 6,000 calories a day to recover. um, You're just not going to be able to recover and it's going to hurt your performance. So that would probably be my biggest piece of advice is understand there's seasons, there's seasons for when you're strength training and what that looks like too. One movement could have a different tempo based on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So,
0: Yeah. And depending on the level, this is a, bit, uh, a difficult part about tennis because many players don't have an off season. It's 12 yeah. months, right? And so, you know, you're talking about periodization of training, um, which is also necessary from a technical perspective. It's really difficult to make technical changes to your game while you're in a competition phase and have the confidence to do that. And I think, you know, an important message there is that, you know, it's maybe easier if you're a high school or a college player who has very seasonal and that's what, that's all you do. But if we're talking about, you know, serious junior players or, you know, people who are looking to go pro it's an 11 and a half month season. And uh, it's really incumbent on the performance team to set some guidelines about, all right, we're going to take four to six weeks off here. And do it, do what you're saying there. But also, maybe this is when we might make a couple of little technical changes. You know, and I'll refer back to an episode that Josh and I did with David Samel. If you recall, Josh, you know how we talked about how they got the guys together. They did that intense uh, strength training with a guy named Jez Green, who also worked with Andy Murray. Um, and then it was in that those moments too that they were going um, deep into the technical stuff. But they didn't have to do it too long because. When you're in a kind of a training phase, you could really focus in on that. And you're not having to be on the court those hours. You could do it in probably 45 minutes working on a technical change. And so I'm glad that you brought this up because I think it's not just seasonal, but it's like you might have to decide what your season is.
2: Exactly. Yeah. It's like, does that change for you personally, too, of when that's going to happen? And and it doesn't take away that you're still able to technically improve things, even if you're still actively competing. Right. But um, that brings up exactly what you're saying. Is there a time and a place randomly in spurts during your year where you have to prioritize things um, and maybe even step back from certain tournaments? Because it's worth the long term game is going to be much better if you sacrifice maybe a certain tournament or something now like but I guess the biggest thing is what are your priorities and what is the long-term game, right? A lot of people are stuck on, well, I need to do well at this tournament and the tournament after that and the tournament after that. But you guys brought up actually in an episode recently that a lot of players don't um, they lack the ability to be able to understand that sometimes it's okay to lose now, right. In a way to practice certain things or practice that on court in your match um, because it's going to make you so much better of a player down the road. And then you can apply all of these habits you've built right? Rather than learning to like, you know, play a match and win safely, right? You're instilling these bad habits of winning safely. So can you take that risk on the court? And the same applies to your strength training. Can you sacrifice maybe not competing for a month or two, or can you change your season? And that's subjective, right? You need to know what, how many points that you need in order to make it to a certain level and what tournaments are the most important. And then with that structure, what your year is going to look like. Um, and, and then having the resources to do that too, right? If you only have a month to train, do you have the best workout plan for that month? Because if you go to the gym for an hour, what you do is gonna be the biggest thing. It's not the time you put in, it's what is the you know intensity and the tools that you're using in that time to maximize what you have. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, no, I, I think that, that definitely makes sense. Have you seen, um, I guess if you could compare... Um, the culture now around uh, fitness, around nutrition, to um, when when you were growing up and when you were in college, um, do, have you seen a lot of changes in in terms of that culture, in terms of maybe how how people are approaching fitness and nutrition, in over the years?
2: Um Yeah, so mine is gonna be sort of a different lens from tennis specifically because tennis is something I just really got back into paying attention to, I guess, as far as players. Um, but as a coach, a 100%, especially the pandemic, since the pandemic, talk, and I think for you guys too right? podcasts have exploded. People that are online coaches have really exploded. Um, so I think the access to that information has been huge especially with nutrition, um, and strength training. Um, and then if I look at this, even as a gym goer, right. So I go to the gym like all the time and I strength train. And back when I was in high school, I was one of the only girls at the squat rack lifting heavier weights, right. Cause my brother did CrossFit and we were really into lifting. My dad was into lifting. Um, but it was usually like, especially female athletes, females in general, it was all, you know, being on the cardio section or doing body weight movements. And then as an athlete, it was kind of similar to like growing up, whenever we did sessions with our strength training coach, it was always doing suicides or doing footwork or doing, you know, explosive movements, which are extremely important, but I don't remember ever doing a lot of strength training and getting strong at understanding how to do a deadlift or squatting or, you know, all these other movements. Um, So I've noticed in college it was more incorporated doing those strength training. But again, for us, it was still a lot of, uh, like more so footwork or cardio based stuff. Um, and then now as a coach looking in on certain programs, it seems like strength training is becoming a much bigger thing. Um, but I think as a society in general for all athletes, like now, when I go to the gym, everyone's using a squat rack, (laughs) all the guys, all the girls, girls are getting strong, but we're unlocking this whole new level of performance because Um, people are realizing that being able to eat more and strength train is like the key to most of our goals, even aesthetically. So that's been, that's been huge. Um, And the same goes for, you know, uh, the mindset stuff. I think people are much more open to talking about struggles. And, you know, I think you, of course, Josh, that's your job is, you know, helping people with the mindset and our society is much more open to even talking about the fact that it's a problem for people when back when I was a kid, my parents, you know, it was a white picket fence. So no one talked about it. Their parents didn't talk about it, but our generation seems to be, you know, we need to talk about these things because or else it leads to a lot of problems on the road. So We have to address it.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, Josh, can, about, yeah, I'm curious Josh about your experience when you were at Sacred Heart and what you noticed with strength and conditioning with the men's and the women's programs. Um, you know, maybe even related to your own experience at Clark.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I would say there there was definitely a big difference between my own collegiate experience and my coaching experience. I think one of the big reasons, um, well, I think there are a couple of big reasons, but I think one of one of the big reasons um, is just the the general difference between Division One and Division Three athletics, um, where my experience at Clark. Um, there, there were moments where where we would talk about nutrition, but it wasn't. It certainly wasn't a focus, and and there were, and also on the fitness side, that was more self led, um, where there were some general guidelines over what we would do, um, but it, it was it was mostly self led um, at times, captain led, but. Um, where at Sacred Heart and, you know, at the division one level, there was, you know, there's a specific coach who would work with the team, you know, on a daily basis. And, um, there was a lot and there was a lot of, you know, that, that fitness element. And I, I think there would be a couple of days a week on strength training, um, a day on more flexibility and yoga and that sort of thing. And then I think a couple of days on more of the, um, speed and agility and that, that sort of thing. Um, and including, um, you know, more, more long distance things so more short distance and long distance and running. And then also, you know, agility is really a mix. Um, I wasn't as involved in that, you know, as, as my role as an assistant coach, but I was you know aware of, you know, w- what was happening on a, on a daily basis. Um, but I would say from a, from a personal standpoint, um, yeah, I, I think it's one of the areas maybe where I did haven't focused as much on on the nutrition side or or also on the um, I think the strength and conditioning side I, I have a little bit more so, but um, I think within college sports there's definitely a ways to go in terms of making it more systemized and and having it be more of an integrated part of the process rather than um, something extra. I think actually maybe. Nutrition, um, strength and conditioning, you know, tra- personal training, um, and sports psychology might might fit into a certain category where sometimes they're seen as something extra. Um, where I think ideally we want to get to the point where all of the different pieces are integrated. So that's the you know the technical piece, the strategic piece, the strength and conditioning, the nutrition, the sports psychology. Maybe there's Another piece or two that I'm, I'm not thinking of here, but um, trying to have it really be integrated so that all of the team members and everyone who's involved, whether it's a team setting like college tennis, or whether it's a more individual setting like maybe a player, you know, playing professionally or a junior player playing ITF or USTA tournament or whatever Tennis Canada tournaments, um, whatever the case may be. Um, but it's really an integrated system of all these different pieces working together, and everybody ideally, all the team members are on the same page.
0: Yeah. And it gets back to something you mentioned earlier, Milan, just about the team environment and how interpersonal pieces and the social support is such an important aspect of performance. And, you know, Josh sort of naming the components of like the performance team we recently had on some, uh, you know, fellow Canadians on uh, the podcast to talk about the gold medal profile in sports psychology. And one of the Main areas that they looked at were the interpersonal skills and the idea of whether you're on a team or whether you're just part of a performance team, and so I'm just you know curious what your thoughts on what on what Josh had to say.
2: Oh my gosh, um, so many thoughts. While you're talking, I had so many things come up that I wanted to say. Um, so a few things. So first of all, I think similar with me even in college, like it seems to be a lot more integrated to focus on the different aspects too. of like, there's a strength training day. We did yoga and stuff too. Um, sometimes even meditation and stuff as well, which um, like you're saying, it's, it's not even, and I think I mentioned it earlier, it's like people are talking about the problems, but it's not always about problems. It actually, most people don't have that many problems when it comes to mentality. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems to be a problem, but um you're right. It should be part of it as a whole package because talking about like the mentality or nutrition or whatever is all so that you can just get to the next level. These are all pieces we're realizing that you don't have to have a problem to have nutritionists. You can just have nutritionists because you want to have the best nutrition so you can be the best player. Like, why do we have to result to these things just because someone has an issue in quotations? It's like, all of us need access to these things so that we can just be the best version of ourselves. Um, but I agree with you wholeheartedly that um, I've noticed that a lot of programs and talking to other you know, college players that are D1, D2, D3, um, a lot of them say, well, we have access to that if we want it. And I'm like, we need it to be more active. That's what I'm trying to do as a job. I'm trying to get into schools and say, we need someone actively teaching people about macronutrients, actively teaching about how to create a workout program and and how that affects them. Because most of the time people aren't going to utilize that uh, resource unless they have a problem. And then at that point, it's like, then you have to start from the ground up. But what if they had someone teaching them in the first place, so they could just already be moving forward and at a higher level. So I've just noticed that in college it's the same. There's there's a lot of activity with um, better training and better schedules and recovery. And and the you know, the training rooms are awesome. There's ice baths and hot baths and people to be there to help people recover and and give them exercises to help prehab or rehab, depending on the season. But I basically haven't seen anyone. Um, say yeah, our nutritionist does classes with our team, or does classes in the school. It's like no, we have nutritionists available if we need it, or we have a psychologist available if we need it. I'm like no, <laughs> build some courses and teach these people stuff. Um, that way they start getting the tools that they didn't even know they needed. I guess is kind of the biggest thing. So similar to you, kind of seeing that. But I think our generation um, is starting to make it more active. But I'm at the point where I'm like. I don't see anyone doing it, so I have to now, and I want to.
0: Yeah, no, I know exactly how you feel, and it's really kind of getting out in front of issues really before they happen, you know, it's a big part of performance psychology or positive psychology is is let's not wait till there's an issue, let's start building you up psychologically right now, Um, but, you know, our society is much more pathology-focused, and, and that's where a lot of this comes from. So, um, But I think we do need to talk about it more that way so we get out in front of it and we help people uh, be psychologically stronger, physically stronger, so that it you know, staves off any issues that may occur later on. And they can lead you know, more fulfilling, meaningful lives when you're feeling good and you're thinking well and, and you're in a healthy place than if you're constantly dealing with little, little issues that, that come up. So I guess maybe my last question for you, Milan, is a lot of what you do, whether it's on the personal training side or on the nutrition side, is basically about behavior change, yep. right? which is something that Josh and I also have to do. So what's your kind of philosophy or approach to behavior change?
2: Um, that's actually a bit of a difficult question um, because there's so many ways to go, but I would say that probably my philosophy is first and foremost, um, and I do this with all of my clients and I always have a presentation for it, is just change your brain to understand that all these goals you have, right, that will require habits, you just need to have patience and understand that the timeline is unfortunately a lot longer than you probably want it to be. Um, And I think that we've all been there where we're like, oh, in six months, I want to be doing this. And then you forget that six months is quick. And it takes a lot of time to actually instill habits in your life. And like you guys have seen people usually take on way too many habits at the same time. So the biggest thing is understand a few things. Why is what you want to do actually that important? Because there's no chance you're going to instill a habit if your fire is not important enough and deep enough. So what is at the core of what you truly want in your life? Do you want to look a certain way? Because you think you'll you know, have more friends and people will like you? Or is it because of a childhood issue that you felt never accepted and now you need to figure out how to love yourself deeply? Like, Is that actually the core to your why? So what you first need to figure out is that. Um, and then once we are able to reverse engineer that into what you need to do every day, I think that's easier. And you start with one thing. Try to incorporate only one thing at a time, get good at it, and then you can have it stack. Then you can add on the next thing. But my biggest philosophy is is those two things. Figure out what your why is and really know if it's if it's that important to you and if your why is is truly like a good fire for you to start working towards whatever this habit changes. and then how can you bring that down to be so simple that you're like, what is the one thing I need to do tomorrow to help me take a small step towards that that over time will build? That's probably one of the biggest things that I could say. I don't know. What about you guys? Do you have a, a philosophy behind that?
1: Um, well, first of all, I, I love the approach of not trying to do too much, not trying to change every habit or, or all these different things at the same time, but start small, um, master the one habit that you're trying to change, and then you can layer on at that point. So I think that that makes sense. Um, to, I mean, to answer your question, I mean, I, my approach, I think, um, in, in integrates or involves a few different areas one of the big ones is awareness as you talked about you know starting to be aware of what you eat on a daily basis and what does that really look like from a calorie standpoint from a macronutrient standpoint um, from an energy standpoint uh, um, how you feel your sleep hormones all these different areas so I, I love that that the um, awareness piece is built in and I think you know that 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 is definitely an Important part of my approach as well, especially early on, trying to help people be aware of how are they currently behaving, how are they currently thinking, how are they currently feeling, and then going from there. So I, I definitely view that as an important, um, fundamental, um, sort of ground level step. And then from there starting to, you know, think about this habit, starting to build skills and learn, learn and develop skills. And, and also understanding that it's not a, you know, improvement is not a straight line, right? It's not, if we had, we we can't draw a line from where you're at right now to, you know, six months from now, let's just say where you want to be. And as you said, um, if things often take a lot longer. So I think if we can, you know, understand there are always ups and downs along the way and have the perspective to understand, Hey, there might be an, a, a certain day or even a certain week or, you know, a longer period of time where we go off the rails a little bit, or we have an off day or we have a match that, you know, where we look back at it and we said, okay, maybe I wasn't doing everything in my power there. So, um, you know, to have the, enough perspective to understand it's a long-term process and that behavior change, habit change, mental toughness, you know, learning mental skills, all of these things take time, but we want to be moving in the right direction day by day.
2: Yeah. Can I add one more thing to that actually? Because I had this conversation yesterday and totally agree with you too, is just having that self-awareness Where you are now and what you need to change. You know what's the first thing you can choose from what you're already doing to change. But one of the big things that I learned recently, and it kind of blew my mind, but it was such a simple concept, is usually when we have this new habit or want to be a certain type of person, right? Usually it's like it's not just the habit; it's you because you want to be a certain version of yourself in the future, right? Um, But a lot of humans make the mistake we. I do all the time of you feel like you have to have that habit already happening before you can self-identify, right? So it's like, well, I want to be a gym person. So I have to go to the gym for the next however long, one month, six months before I can believe that I am that already now, right? Because I've deserved it. I've done it enough that now I can give myself this title that that is a habit that I have. But you can't actually pick up that habit until you believe that before you even do it. And that is the weirdest concept that is so true. And it is part of that fake it till you make it. Um, And when we talk about future self, it's like you have to start acting as if you already are that person now, because that's what's going to drive you to even take the action because you believe that you are already that person. And then one day you actually do, you know, wholeheartedly become that. So I think a big concept with that is exactly that, like whatever it is that you want to pick up and you want to become just somehow, you know, whether it's through affirmations or whatever, start including that as I am already that person, you're more likely to start doing that habit. And then as you do it, you start to really believe it because now you're actually becoming exactly what you said that you wanted to do and that you technically are saying you are. That would probably be another big point to what you're saying, I I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we actually talked about that, Josh, in our episode on mini wins, right? We talked about BJ Fogg and tiny habits and the idea of celebration. You know, he believes that this is something that will be bigger than mindfulness and gratitude. So let's say you go to the gym, because this is about self-image, is you want to, you know, celebrate the fact you did it. Say, yes, that's like me to go to the gym. Now you're building a self-image around the ad. This is me. I go to the gym. And through that celebration, that little celebration there, you are also motivating yourself to do the behavior again. And so, this constant um, celebration of, yeah, that's like me to do this. Like, hey, yeah, that's like me to meditate in the morning. That's like me to eat the way I'm supposed to eat. So, if you're constantly using your new behaviors as a way of affirming the identity that you are, um, that can be very, very powerful, I think. Um, you know, when we talk about behavior change, you know, we talked a bit about that in that, that episode, but really, you know, anchoring behavior, celebrate being a big piece of that, right? Whatever your new habit is, can you anchor it to something you already do? Um, then do the behavior and then celebrate the fact that you did the behavior so that you're affirming again that self-image. I think the other thing that I think about with respect to behavior change, and maybe this is more theoretical, but not everybody is exactly ready to do the things we want them to do. You know, so like the trans-theoretical model of change, right? Somebody might be in a pre-contemplation mode or maybe they're contemplating the change. Maybe they're ready for action or maybe they're in a maintenance mode. And I think it's really good to take the temperature of where are you um, in that change model. And based on where you are, what are you willing to do? Like, I kind of want you to do this, but what are you actually willing to do and get them to talk about the change that they, they want to make? And then, you know, kind of going with that. Because there may be times, I don't know how much resistance you get, Milan, but, uh, you know, there's got to be ways to roll with that so that you can still help someone.
2: Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And as a coach, which you guys can probably relate, the more I learn and the more I work with people, the more I realize I what I don't know. Um, and habit shifting is, well, first of all, it's all mindset, right? We need to get people to understand a concept before they can even start wanting to get there right and usually it's unlearning stuff and relearning new information um and like you're bringing up a lot of there's a lot of strategy to that is there you know can we figure out where they're at is there a way to build the habit associated with you know if i want them to you know eat like an apple every day do we put it next to the cup of coffee that they drink every morning because then they're more likely to do it um, But there's definitely resistance and it's not always obvious, like the psychological part of working with a person, especially online, because I'm not there with them. I can't force them to do anything. It's incredibly frustrating because as a coach, you feel like you're letting them down. If you're not getting them to do stuff, you feel like it's your fault, even though it's not. I'm doing my best. Um, but it brings so much awareness to how much I need to learn about working with people. Um, and even coming down to under, like, there's lots of tests on what what is their personality type, you know, understanding if they have things like ADHD or like different other limitations that really take into effect what wh- how their brain works. Um, and I've had to learn that about myself. Like, I got diagnosed with ADHD a year ago, um, which was gosh, I wish I knew that earlier. Everyone was like, oh, I could have told you when you were like 10. And I'm like, why didn't you? (laughs) I would have learned how to use my own brain the right way. But it it brings up that you're right. Not everyone's going to do stuff the same way. Um, And uh, yeah, there's totally different strategies to use on getting people to the right spot and to actually start taking action. And then even on that, the action is going to look totally different for each person. Um, So like, I wish there was one answer to be able to start habit having different habits, but there's not, it's totally individual. And the more you know about that person, at least the more you can figure out, you know, how can we trigger that motivation or dopamine levels or make you excited about something? Or, you know, are you, are you, do you thrive a different way, whether it's feeling accomplished or feeling like you're gonna, you know, that you have a back against the wall, so you don't want to mess it up. Therefore you do it. And like, how do we utilize that in your day? Yeah. I don't know. Josh, do you have any thoughts on that too? I feel like you have. I mean, this is your job. So I think you have a lot of good info, too.
1: No, definitely. No, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned you know start small and you know whether it's okay. I want to eat an apple every single day. Okay, how can I position? Myself to be more likely to do that, right? So, you know, talking about to me this this conversation and you know, Brian, I'm glad that you brought up um, tiny habits. I would also think about you know atomic habits um, by James Clear, which which we've talked about on this on this podcast, and trying to think about okay, if we are if we do want to start a new habit, and Milan, I'm glad that you you know brought up that that part about identifying, right? I identify as a runner. Therefore, I start taking those steps that runners take, right? I start um, planning out what I'm going to do, you know, how I'm going to run in the next morning. And he talks a lot about, okay, how can I make that as easy as possible for myself? Can I lay out my clothes the night before? As I'm getting started with running, do I want to say, okay, I need to be running five miles because that's what... You know that, that that's what's needed. Or can we say, okay, my my goal is to leave the front door, and then if that's my goal to leave the front door, mo- most likely I'm gonna I'm gonna run, or I'm, at least I'm gonna try. But if if the goal is okay, I need to run five miles, and then you go out the first time and you run two miles and you're exhausted and you can't continue because you you haven't run for a very long time, you're gonna feel discouraged and you're probably not gonna continue. Where if that goal is okay i want to you know i'm going to set myself up so that it's easy to get started i'm going to have my water laid out i'm going to have my my outfit i'm going to have my shoes all i have to do is wake up put them on and, and leave the door because that's really my goal, then you're more likely to achieve that, more likely to continue. And then you can step-by-step step build that more consistent habit. Um, and then the other the other thing I liked that, that you mentioned was the, the fake until you make it part, right? If you can start with that identification, you know, by identifying as a runner, by identifying as somebody that tries to eat, in a way that's serving their their body and serving their goals, um, then you're so much more likely to do it. I was actually just attending, just a couple of days ago, I was attending a webinar um, by Dr. Matt Park, um, who's out in the the West Coast. I believe he's based in California. He he's, he's worked with, I think he currently does some work with NASA and he works with a lot of golfers. And um, he actually rephrased it in a way that I like, um, which is be it till you see it. So be it, be the type of, you know, person that, that you want to be, have those qualities that, you know, that, that you're trying to, um, you know, to, to strive for, right, whether it's uh, the exercise piece, the nutrition piece, any other habit, um, and, and keep being it, keep doing it, and Eventually, you will see it. So I, I liked how that was rephrased. I, I think I'm gonna uh, maybe borrow that as well. But uh, no, I, I love you know your, your approach. How you know I I I like that with both nutrition and with fitness. You're um, taking things from really a habit-based approach and also starting with some of these bigger picture things, bigger picture um, topics. Whether it's the self-image, whether it's really what what are your reasons for um, you know, for continuing with the current habits that you have, right? What's holding you back? and sort of starting with some of these bigger picture things, starting with awareness, as you mentioned as well, and then going from there. So um, no, I think this has all been really interesting.
0: So, I guess we can wrap it up, you know, Milen, is um, how can people connect with you? How can they find you, whether it's on twitter, instagram, or where, wherever you are? How can people connect with you to? to, you know, learn more about what you do and, and, and work with you?
2: Um, well, first of all, I have my Instagram set up. It is, um, I'm I'm sure we can end up tagging it as well in, in, by the description for this but um at milen Petipa is my instagram um and i do you know post on there and i also have a link in my bio where people can apply for coaching um or you, they can dm me so if anyone listening has any questions wants to connect or is looking for more information on coaching um feel free to either apply or, or dm me and then um i can probably also give you guys i have an email but a website is going to be set up soon. I actually just had a friend um, make an awesome new website for me and we just launched it. So um, that'll be another way, but I'll probably be updating that on my social media. So currently Instagram is probably the best way.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us. I know. Um, and thanks Josh for setting this up with me, And It was a really fascinating conversation. And I think there are a lot of great tidbits here. That players and coaches uh, can certainly further what they do uh, and make it make better. So, thank you so much for being here.
2: Absolutely, thank you so much for having me. You guys give so much value to the audience um, that you guys speak to, and I've learned so much just listening to your podcast. So, it's it's really an honor to be here and to chat with you guys and and just share more about um, what I, I do because I think it's going to make a big difference with players in the future. Maybe there'll be a new level of, of play that we helped basically spark. So I'm excited.
1: Well, that was an awesome conversation. And definitely uh, that interview included a lot of topics that we haven't discussed as much on this podcast. So I I really enjoyed it. I think a a highlight for me of the conversation was when the three of us were all discussing behavior change and um, how we all... You know, I think we all have a lot of similarities, but ultimately somewhat of a different approach in terms of how different approach and and different theory behind um, how behavior change takes place. And I really, you know, thought it was interesting how we were talking about um, habits and habit formation, how, you know, through really starting small, um, you know, whether it's, you know, utilizing some of the principles from the book, tiny habits or atomic habits, but really by starting small, you can really set yourself up for success. So whether it's starting a workout routine or starting to run more or changing certain things about your diet and nutrition, um, by really starting small, by having manageable steps and manageable goals, you can really lead, start, start that process of starting to be consistent and starting to, um, Build new habits in a way day by day um, where you're not getting too far ahead of yourself, but you have something achievable, which we talk a lot about with goal setting, and that feels you know, within your grasps, and once you achieve it, again, trying to celebrate it, which is a big part of that tiny habit. Um, philosophy, and then from there trying to build up, build on that momentum and continuing um, with it day by day. Um, so I really like that part of the conversation. How about you, Brian?
0: Um, I did like that as well. I mean, I think uh, just even the work we do, Josh, it is a lot about behavior change, and so understanding how to help people do that is, is really important. I guess I'll go into the more practical piece of some of what Milan said, which was um, I'd The description of, you know, night before, you know, match. We had this example of you've got a match at noon the next day. All right, what are you doing the night before? What are you doing that day? What are you doing right up until maybe that last hour? And what are some things that you can be doing during the match or late in the match so that um, you're managing your energy levels because I think energy is, is the important thing. You know, Milan obviously puts a lot of emphasis on the food piece. Um, I think you can also put a lot of emphasis on the sleep piece. Um, There's a lot of research on that as well. And So making sure you have uh, good energy habits so that you can be maximally energized for what you believe are the important events in your day and in your life is huge. And and the food piece uh, is obviously important. So I hope that people really took that to heart, because I think there are probably a lot of myths to bust when it comes to nutrition among athletes and, and tennis players. And I think she did a great job of busting some of those things here. And um, so I, li- I like the practical piece. I thought the behavior change piece was a great part of the conversation as well. And I guess the last piece I really liked, Josh, was um, we talked a lot about self-image and how important that is you know, just sort of to like the performance. It's not just about you, but if you have a poor self-image, you're not going to perform well, even if you have – you know, confidence in your strokes or whatever. Um, so that's that's an important aspect of, of working through all of this. So, um, well, that's our show for today. Again, many thanks to our guest, uh, Milan Steinhardt. Um, and thank you for listening. For more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at podcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes, and you can also check us out on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.